um, I've heard a phrase and it's absolutely true and absolutely applicable, but if you've met one person with Tourette syndrome, you've met one person with Tourette syndrome because the next person you meet is gonna be completely different. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today is an author who publishes under the pen name of Paula Jean Ferry. She is fascinated by stories in all forms, writing, movies, music, and creating them in her own life. So far, all four of her books have come from personal experiences she has had, and she is now writing her first novel. I am pleased to present Jessica Smith. Jessica, are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Well, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Um, One of the questions I thought I'd break the ice with was I am fascinated by your novel that you're writing right now because I got to uh, get a little sample of it as you were writing it at that author's retreat this summer. And so I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about it and why it's so important to you. Absolutely. I'm so excited for this book. Um, It's by far the most exciting thing that I've written. Um, But it's based off of a real person. um, But we don't necessarily know much about her life. Um, She was one of the first people studied and, and a very core and central case into creating what is now a diagnosis of Tourette syndrome. Um, she wasn't officially diagnosed because it didn't become a thing until a year after her death, but she was a countess in France in the 1800s. Um, it, it was about a year ago that they even actually found her name. She was always in the medical records as M. Dampierre. Um, but now we actually have a name and I've been able to find all of this information about her. Um, I mean, her story's just fascinating. Not only was she this woman in a very public position who couldn't control the words that came out of her mouth um but she also had the swearing form of Tourette's that people tend to know about a lot because of the media yes um so she was very very controversial and and quite a figure in in her life and it's a shame that more of that wasn't shared in the medical records um but she had no children and so her story's been largely untold um So I'm going to do what research I can and fill in the gaps. (laughs) I am so excited for this. And and it's really, really a fun perspective. And tell us why writing this story about Tourette's is so uh, important to you personally. For me, because I was actually diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome. I have that as well. Um, I call them Paula, hence my pen name. It's kind of my alter ego already. but I started making noises at 17 and I was diagnosed at 24 uh, because it was my senior year of college that particular year. I did a bunch of research. Her name came up and just never fully left me. I was always curious and always wanting to know more. So I'm just going to make it up. 
<laughs> I I think that just sounds fascinating. So it's it's neat that you've been able to gather the historical details of her life, and now you get mm-hmm. to fill in the the gaps, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It gives me like the best of everything. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So life for you has looked a little different. Why don't you take us back to your your teenage years and and into your adulthood, where Tourette's has been impactful and how that has what your life looks like because of Tourette's and, and, and how it has given you a compassion for other people. My life is so completely different. I go home <laughs> to my little bitty hometown and people just don't recognize me anymore. In high school, I was this shy, quiet kid. And if you asked me a direct question, I still wouldn't speak to you. I would nod or I would shake my head. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I was basically mute. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, uh, but it it took a lot for me to really talk to people and open up to people because I was just so, so shy. Um, But once I started making these noises, I had to start explaining, oh, excuse me, I think it was a hiccup. Like, I didn't really know what it was. They sounded like hiccups at first. I I kind of grew in to my Tourette's, which was kind of nice. They started off kind of mild and they uh, have changed and evolved over time. Mm -hmm. Um, But the biggest thing was that it allowed me to start connecting with other people. Um, Some doctors, not all, will place Tourette syndrome on the autism spectrum. And the more I looked into it, the more I researched it, the more I realized, oh, that explains so much about my childhood and why I was just such a weird kid. Mm. Um, But at the same time, I'm so high functioning that it would have been something that was completely unseen. You know, Mm -hmm. I just... I just didn't understand other people. That's part of why I was such a reader as a kid. I devoured books. I was grounded for an entire summer because I read way too much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It wasn't the Harry Potter series, but it was a series about the size of Harry Potter. I read all of them from May, beginning of May to end of June, meaning I was technically still in school. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) my parents got a little concerned and I was grounded. They're like, that was your summer reading list. You're done. I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, but having Tourette's, it made me start talking to people and I was able to kind of figure out the social aspects of life. Um, and I, and I wasn't suddenly so shy because I started to understand these cultural rules and expectations that I just didn't see. Um, and, and there were so many things like, that have just really changed so much about me. The fact that before I was diagnosed, I mean, I had this, there was a seven year gap where I was undiagnosed and I just made these noises. And at first, like I mentioned, I thought they were hiccups. So people were like, oh, did you try drinking water upside down? Did you try, you know, all of these hiccup cures? And when I told them, well, it's not hiccups, they got confused and they're like, well, but have you tried this? And have you tried this? And um, it was actually kind of a good self-esteem booster because I have this little fire streak in me somewhere. And part of me is just like, stop trying to fix me. I'm not broken. Mm. But having to vocalize that, I started to like become more accepting of myself in general because I was very insecure. Um, but all of a sudden to, to say, I'm not broken, you know, I'm, I'm okay, um, really helped me to internalize that. And then I got some really big ahas once I made it to college and was actually able to 
study this in depth. And um, my senior year of college, I did a senior research paper on Tourette syndrome and how it affects communication. Blew my mind, completely opened up a whole new world. and, And that was a big turning point for me in my life. Wow. Wow. So a lot of times with Tourette syndrome, you have some kind of a tick. Would you mind explaining Mm -hmm. what a tick is and how it sometimes presents itself and how you feel when you need to tick, just so that people kind of get a general idea of what it's like? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So Tourette's actually has four qualifying features. Um, There has it's not just the presence of ticks, but there has to be both a vocal tick and a physical tick. So there has to be something vocal that is uncontrollable. Sometimes that can be as subtle as clearing your throat, or it might be like me where I have this opera diva that'll just let out this high pitched, beautiful vibrato type of Mm -hmm. a thing. Um, So it, it has this huge range. And then again, with the vocal ticks, you have that swearing form, which is called caprelia. Um, with the, I actually have a form of vocal tics called echolalia, where I repeat sounds that I hear often. I picked up the opera diva tic when I was studying music in college before I switched over to communications. So I heard it, it came out. Um, I've done that with time clocks. I've done that with various animal noises. Um, I repeat things. That's that's why they kind of sounded like hiccups at first. I hear hiccups. I sound like hiccups. Mm. Um, and that's called echolalia. There's also the physical forms of tics, which again, you can have the inappropriate, which is capraxia, um, where you might flip people off or make very inappropriate gestures, um, touch people when they don't want to be touched. Um, there's echopraxia, where you imitate different movements that people are doing around you. Um, But again, they can be as subtle as an eye blinking tick where you just blink your eyes pretty excessively. Uh, Most people might not know that. I've seen some as extreme as a poor girl who would grab her own throat and strangle herself or people that will just randomly spin in circles as they're walking or fall to the floor. It, It looks a lot like demon possession. There are actually still some people who think that Tourette's is actually not a thing. And that we're actually just possessed by demons, but it's not true. <laughs> I promise I'm not possessed. <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen, I've seen it in different formats too. You know, maybe it's just um, a head twitch or, you know, I mean, it, it just, it, it, and I think that's the, the key thing to point out here is that Tourette's manifests itself differently in different people. Right. right? Um, I've heard a phrase and it's absolutely true and absolutely applicable. But if you've met one person with Tourette syndrome, you've met one person with Tourette syndrome because the next person you meet is going to be completely different. I mean, that's why some doctors will say, yes, it's on the autism spectrum, while others will say, no, it's not. Because even something as subtle as that can vary so much from individual to individual. Mm, Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So what does it feel like when you have to tick? Do you feel like it coming on or does it just happen? A little bit of both. Um, there are some times where it'll just like pop out with no warning and I'm just like, oh, there it is. I mean, uh-huh. that's that's definitely how it started. It was just a this little squeak that popped out of my mouth and I'm just like, oh, excuse me. I think that was a hiccup. That was the closest like connection that I could figure when mm-hmm. I first started doing this. Um, they just kind of pop out. Uh, there are some times where I might be able to 
feel it coming where I can kind of feel, especially the physical ticks. I've got a shoulder twitch where my shoulder will jerk forward. Um, and I do have like the eye blinking tick where, where my eyes will just kind of itch. Um, so some, you'll find me like rubbing my eyes a lot um, because I need to get rid of that feeling. And I can do that either by rubbing them or by the excessive blinking. Mm, that is so interesting. So coming from a being a shy child, you know, <laughs> and, and kind of scared to talk to people at all. How were you able to process that and become okay with this is who I am? Obviously, you're very vocal about Tourette's now. And, and I think that is awesome uh, that you've just embraced it. And this is, this is me, right? Um, (laughs) Right. So, so how were you able to kind of go through that process to where you went from being shy to here I am? And, And it was definitely a process. It's something that took me several years. I mean, it started with, like I mentioned before, with people trying to cure or fix me and me saying, I'm not broken because I'm not. I mean, in my mind, everyone has hiccups at some point or another. Everyone will cough or sneeze. We have normal bodily functions that we just can't always control. Um, I compare Tourette's very often to coughs I mean you can feel a cough coming and you can hold it back for a little bit and there are people who will try and suppress their tics until they're away from the public eye um I don't because just like coughing when you hold it back you're gonna cough up a lung you know and when you hold back your tics you're gonna have what's called a tick attack where it's amplified and so much worse and uncontrollable like some people on in full-on convulsions on the floor just twitching um you know and and it's not necessarily that bad for me per se but um but it's definitely worse if I were to try and hold them back which is why I I don't I just let them happen because again it was just a normal bodily function to Mm me so that was like the first part of the journey is recognizing it's a normal bodily function because I had nothing else to compare it to um to recognize that I'm not broken. And then again, coming back to this college paper that was so core and so central, like I learned so much. So my degree wasn't actually communications. My emphasis was communications. What I studied was international cultural studies. And I studied people and why we do the things that we do and the effect that culture has on us and and the effect of these stories. Um, because that's really all it is. We have all of these unspoken rules that create our culture. They help us to facilitate and to move and interact with one another. Um, And it does, in a way, simplify things. Like these rules were created for a reason, for a purpose. Um, But at the same time, these rules are man-made, meaning they can be changed. These rules aren't set in stone. It's not something that has to be. And understanding this concept of culture and the role that Tourette syndrome plays within culture, because what it does is it um, it presents an awkward situation. And all an awkward situation is, is when we don't know what the rules are. Mm. I mean, and, and as adults, that's especially hard. As children, we don't care about awkward situations because we're still learning all the rules and we have this like free pass, right? Yeah. But as adults, we're like, I should know this rule. Why don't I know this rule? Someone teach me the rule. Like we look around trying to figure out, okay, who knows the rule so that I can follow 
I mean, it's again, an unspoken rule. We don't necessarily know about these social niceties all the time, especially if it's something you haven't encountered. Um, and so understanding that all that does is put me in a position where I know what's happening and I know that I can then create those rules that happen around this. If there's not already a situation in play that I'm okay with, you know, right. there are people who will think, Oh, Hey, are you okay? Cause I've got a gasping tick. And so I'll just like <gasps> every once in a while and Oh, mm-hmm. are you okay? You know, that rule's okay. I'll roll with that. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's not, I'll say, Oh, excuse me. I've got Tourette syndrome. Have you heard of it? And I'll explain it. Or, I mean, sometimes just because I find people fascinating, I'll just watch what they do and watch it play out. But at any point in time, I have the power to jump in and create a new rule for culture around me and to create a new story, not just in my life, but for the people that I interact with, which was so empowering. Ooh, I bet. I bet. And it's cool that you were able to study this from such a deep perspective. I think with any diagnosis, um, it is so important to learn about it. And that's what it sounds like you did because we fear the things we don't understand. That's kind of a general culture rule, right? Right. Um, And so the more we learn about it, the more we can then teach others about it in a way that that's simple and easy. I love how you just gave the example of, oh, sorry, I have Tourette's and have you heard of it? You know, and, right. <laughs> and, and then you're educating others and that is an empowering position to be in. It's not a, I'm going to go hide in the corner because I have Tourette's. I have Tourette's and let me tell you about it because this right. is how I function in society. And right. I think because you have been open about it, the next time that person meets somebody with Tourette's, they'll go, oh, I remember I met Jessica and she has Tourette's and she totally explained it to me. And so I meet this other person and I'm like, oh, they have Tourette's too. And because you were so open about it, hopefully they will be much more understanding as they meet, you know, a second or a third or a 20th person with Tourette's, you know? That's definitely so, the goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's awesome. And I think, I think just that pattern of, you know, once you get a diagnosis, learning about it and then teaching others so that we're, we're incorporating it, as you say, into what, what a cultural norm is. Hey, we can totally accept these people with threats. You know, they're just like you and me. They just have these little things that they do and it's okay. Right. <laughs> right. For sure. And, and that's just the fun thing about it. Like the fact that culture is man-made and seeing again, what an empowering effect I have with and it's not just me because it's me like it's it's everyone we all have this capability to have that kind of an impact we create this story that we're living and and that story is what affects and shapes and creates and changes the culture around us is this rule serving me or hindering me you know Mm -hmm. like there are some rules that yeah, that's okay to keep in place. There's a reason it it does help us to function so that we don't have to start from complete scratch every time we meet someone. We kind of have a general idea of how to interact with other people. But if it's not serving me, what's the point of keeping it? And that's that's kind of the beauty of it is, is, you know, God has shaped this plan that we're able to 
shape and create and mold ourselves. Like we are beings of creation, just like he is. And we are also able to create, maybe not on the scale that he has created yet, but look at the creation that we can do, not only with our physical hands, but in the world around us. Mm. I, I love, I love that you tied in that, that we each have that, uh, that seed of creation in us because God is mm-hmm. our father, right? That, that he is going to give us certain gifts and talents. And for you, one of those gifts of creation is now speaking uh, to others about who you are and what you do. And another is writing, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's neat that you've been able to find these gifts and talents and then express all these amazing concepts that you write about. So this is exciting. Why don't we uh, segue a little bit here into um, you have had a challenging life in other ways as well. Yes. (laughs) In that you have dealt with a lot of death of loved ones. Yes. And so I thought it would be interesting to have you talk about not only, obviously we've talked about Tourette's, but how you've been able to process death and grief and how God has helped you get through that. It's kind of cool to see how, I mean, all of the stuff with Tourette's happened when I was fairly young. I mean, 17 to 24, I'm now 35. So that was obviously a while ago. And, um, and while there had been death in my family a little bit before that, um, they, they got more challenging as I got older. Um, at this point, I've now lost uh, two of my four grandparents. I've lost three out of four siblings. I have lost multiple friends um, at very young ages with tragic ends. Um, you know, it, it's, I think my very first experience with death, I was actually in kindergarten. It was the first day of kindergarten. And a couple of kids were just so excited to go to school that they ran out in front of the school bus. <gasps> And the first day of kindergarten, one of the little girls died and another kid broke his leg um, because they were just so excited. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, from a very young age, I've been very well acquainted with death. (laughs) Mm. Um, But at the same time, as I got older, um, I started to recognize how the things that I learned with Tourette's syndrome actually do also help with grief. Um, Because of the confidence that I found with Tourette's syndrome, I started taking this bull in a china shop approach to life. And I just kind of like, okay, here I am. This is what we're going to do. Like, what rules are we going to follow? I don't know. Um, And I make a lot of, a lot of mistakes, but it's allowed me to take time to stop and, and look at, okay, this is my situation. These are the rules that are in place. Um, These are the ones that this isn't helping me. You know, if I, if all I'm going to do is be angry and bitter about it, um, I, I can recognize that this isn't something that's going to serve me. Um, in December of 2019, I lost my third of those three siblings um, and my brother was murdered. And with murder, of course, there's going to be a trial and a court case. Um, but I was able to sit and say, you know what? There's no way that's going to serve me. I don't want to be involved. I don't have to be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas other people, like for them, my mom and dad both sat down and said, no, I I think I need to do this. And that was part of their healing process, but it's not part of mine. And Mm -hmm. just because my parents are involved doesn't mean that I have to be. And I was able to 
separate myself from that and take my healing journey where it needed to go. Um, but recognizing that every individual's path is so different, again, pulling in ideas from the Tourette syndrome where everybody's case is so different. Um, I'm, I'm able to have that connection with God and talk with him and say, okay, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do I do? You know, um, there was an entire month where I just tried anything and everything that was, that would potentially take the pain away. Cause it just hurt so much. I, I mean, even with my other two siblings, one had been a miscarriage. Um, so I'd never actually met the child. One was a half sister that I had met once in my entire life because her mom had taken her clear across the country. Um, and while it still hurt because they are my siblings and I loved them, um, it wasn't, it wasn't quite as impactful as the one that I'd grown up with, you know, and had all of these memories with. And it, it was just different. It was harder. It was the hardest thing I never probably experienced, I think. But it did allow me that time to slow down. And luckily, luckily, <laughs> um, God shut the world down for me because I just couldn't handle it. So COVID hit. And I didn't have to deal with people and I didn't have to go to work and I didn't have to, I could just take the time to focus on me and heal. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to have Jessica share some tips of things that were really helpful for her to help her process her grief, things that you and I can use as well. Stay tuned. Are you looking for a gift for a friend, sister, or mother who is really struggling right now and you're not sure what to get them? It's hard for me to sometimes find those gifts. And so today I'm so excited to tell you about this booklet, The Mother's Might. It's a perfect, simple, inexpensive gift you can give your friends, your family, your sisters, anyone that you want to share this story with. And it will be meaningful. It's not just a little piece of candy that they eat and forget. It's something they can read over and over again because so often we, as women, feel alone and overwhelmed and burdened and like there's so many things weighing upon our shoulders. And what I love about this story is that it points us to Jesus Christ in our times of trouble, that he understands us, he loves us, he knows what we're going through and he is more than willing to help us bear that burden. And I love that about this story, that it gives not only me hope, but it will convey that sense of hope for all of you. So get your copy of it today, tamarakanderson.com store. You can order one, two, 10, 20, however many you want, and we will get those to you so you can get them distributed. All right, now on to our show. So what, what did that healing look like? I love that you say that, that, that you were able to talk to God and, and have him help you through that. But what, you obviously felt a whole bunch of pain. Did you, yes. did you talk to him about that? I mean, what did that look like? Did you journal about it? What, what helped you process the grief so that you were then able to finally come around to healing? What things did you do that helped you when you were grieving? Like I said, a little bit of anything and everything, because I'm willing to take this bowl in a China shop approach and try new things and not be afraid of looking foolish. Um, I tried things that I might not have been willing to try before, um, but I'd never experienced that amount of pain before. So like uh, journaling is obviously as a writer, a huge aspect that has done so much for me in a lot of trauma that I've dealt with 
not just in regards to death, but other traumas that I've dealt with as well. And, and prayer is obviously also a huge impact when I go to my church, when I go to the temple, these were huge things, but because I'd always had such a Christian upbringing, there are things that just kind of seemed too weird and too out there. Um, but because I was willing to try these new things, I was willing, able to see that God is in a lot more than I thought initially. So mm-hmm. the first thing I tried was this thing called restorative yoga, um, which I mean, there's nothing against yoga in church practices or anything, but it was just something I hadn't experienced. But I, I tried something, um, I tried that and it did actually help. Like there was one session I just was in tears bawling and able to let go of a lot of that grief. Um, I tried something called tapping, which, you know, again, from a Christian perspective might sound kind of crazy, but um, I, I started to see God in more of these metaphysical practices that aren't traditionally Christian. Right. You know, I started open up, opening up to new ideas and I found God and I found healing. Um, and so I feel like I've just been able to open up and experience so much more as a result of that grief. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And I think I think it's interesting. Often we end up looking for different answers when we can't when what we're doing right now isn't working. And I mm-hmm. think I think that's something I also found during COVID when I was, you know, after being at home for so long with my family, I was going a little crazy, you know. And so <laughs> I had to find some new re- relaxation techniques for me because what I, what I had used up to that point wasn't working anymore. And I had to find some other mm-hmm. things that, that would relieve right. stress and anxiety and stuff like that. And that, and so I think, I think that's probably a really good principle to learn is that if you're going to God and saying, please help me, I don't know what else to do. Then sometimes you have to be open when he opens a door to you. They're like, well, that's dumb. Why would I do that? <laughs> right? <laughs> like who would have thought that I would be suddenly this person who's involved with, with crystals and energy healing and chakras. And I'm just like, where did all of this come from? Like, but it all kind of comes back to, yeah, this, this grief thing did open up new pathways. And I found God there too. Mm. And it just expanded my view of God. It expanded my view of the world around me. And I'm a better person for it as, as hard as it is. And as much as I would not want to do that again, I mean, it's, it's happened. And at that point, I either have the choice to sit in that grief and wallow and become a victim, or I could say, okay, this is my new situation. How do I move forward? Yeah. Do you, do you feel that God was with you every step of the way? Like, here's the next step. Here's the next step. Or did he give you like the end picture? Like you are going to be happy again someday. And here's 50 things you have to do. I don't know. <laughs> how, how did that look like for you? I mean, and it was just kind of more of a, a step-by-step process. Um, one of the things that I did was I attended, even know how to explain it, but Tamara, you're the one that actually introduced it to me. I, I saw a post that you had made about an event that Richard Paul Evans was going to do. And I'm just like, Richard Paul Evans, I'm in. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't even know what, but it was in that, that searching for, for something, anything. Um, and I knew from experience that at some point I would be happy again, uh, because I'd obviously dealt with death so much already. It was more just kind of a step-by-step process. And I had to kind of find like, do I go here? Nope, that didn't work. Do I go here? Nope, that didn't work. But at this event that Rick did that you had invited me to, it was something that connected me to 
people that I needed. Like there was actually a lot of healing in that event for me mm-hmm. in and of itself. But, but this event was kind of a doorway to open me to new people. And these people had had experiences in these things and told me, okay, this has helped me with grief in this way. And so I was willing to try it because mm-hmm. anything to take that pain away. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's actually really cool. I do like that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then they introduced me to another person. Uh, one of those people that I met, Taylor, had me speak at a retreat. And at her retreat, I found someone who um, helped me get into, all, you know, it, it was just like this chain of events. And there's so many different change had, chains headed out so many different directions that it's hard to like keep track of them specifically. Right. Um, so the key then was just taking it one step at a time. trying different things. And just because one thing didn't work, not giving up, right? Say, okay, well, trial and error, right? Right. Maybe that worked last time, but this time it didn't work. So I need to find something else. And And even if it did work, I think the key was that I was still searching because it helped. It eased that pain just a little bit, but then I could find the next thing that would help me just a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just because you find something that helps doesn't mean that's the be all end all. Mm -hmm. I found so many things and I feel like I suddenly have all of these tools in a toolkit. You know, I'm not running around with a hammer saying, how do I fix things with just this one tool? Hammer's going to fix it. But I also have access to, I mean, my dad's a mechanic, so, you know, I can list off all of these random tools, but I've I've got screwdrivers and wrenches and, um, and all of the different sizes that I need for, for different sizes of experiences that I have. Mm. I've always loved the comparison of a tool belt or or toolbox, Mm -hmm. just because um, as we go through life, we're going to pick up different tips and different tricks. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes we'll be going along and we'll have a situation like your closest brother pass away. And I don't have a tool for this, right? So I know I need more. Um, And so I, I think, God wants us to keep learning and growing and having experiences. And, and the key is staying connected to him so that he guides you to take, okay, what's the next right step if this isn't the thing that's going to fix it? You know, what's the next right Mm -hmm. step? And just hanging in there with God. Um, You mentioned at one point when you were chatting there about um, being, making the choice between being bitter, you know, you could stay bitter or you Mm -hmm. could become, get back to being your happy self. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, how were you able to make that decision, especially when you're feeling so down? But how do you keep a happy perspective when life has been challenging and hard? Because sometimes that's hard to do. It's hard to paste on the happy face when we don't feel very happy. What, What advice do you have for us and with regards to that? don't paste on the happy face. First of all, (laughs) (laughs) if I'm pissed, you're going to know that I'm pissed. If I'm sad, I'm going to be like a bawling hot mess. You know, I I have this no shame concept again, because of my Tourette syndrome. Like I've already barked in business meetings and screamed in the middle of church functions. Like, you know, I've already learned how to deal with embarrassment, quote unquote, like, but, um, that's part of the problem is that sometimes we get embarrassed by our emotions. We get embarrassed that we're still grieving. It's been almost two years. I'm still grieving. I'm obviously a lot better at it, 
but my throat still chokes up when I talk about my brother. Um, I don't know if you could hear it when I was talking about it, but I was, I was definitely trying to, to keep talking despite the fact that tears were starting to form. Mm -hmm. Um, and while they didn't actually form, I do allow myself to still feel that grief because it is still hard. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something that's going to go away. It's something that, um, I'm going to miss my brother for the rest of my life until I get to see him again in the hereafter. That's, that's just the hard and hard fast of it. It's something that you learn to still somehow move forward with instead of sitting in that grief. Like I will feel that grief, but, um, you know, if you're having a crying session, you, you, you only have so many tears and you can only cry so much. But then at that point you have this, and at that point you're kind of done, you know, and you say, okay, now what? Do I want to sit here and like start myself crying again? Or do I want to see, okay, what now? Like you, you kind of have that breath and that moment of pause where um, God's able to jump in and say, you know, it's okay. You know, like you've had that emotion. Ah. And I'm like trying not to cry now, um, but I'll probably go cry after this is finished recording. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you're good. <laughs> I, I think you've given us some really good points in there. The first, we were talking about how to, to not stay in, in the bitter part of it, but to transition into what's next. How do I get back to my normal, happy self? Um, and, and I think the, the, the thing that I was able to pull out of that was be where you are. Don't be embarrassed for where you are. Yeah. Um, if you're feeling sad, then you're sad. Allow yourself to feel sad, process that, but then sure. reach a point where you take a breath and say, okay, what's next? What, what's mm -hmm. the next step up and out of this pit of grief that I'm stuck in because God, as you've been talking, gives us those steps just one at a time. Okay. Now try this. Mm -hmm. Now do this. And it's that line upon line principle that we hear in the Bible. You know, it, it's just baby stepping our way through different situations in life. And, and he's with us in and through all of it. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Are there any other thoughts that you have about transitioning back towards normal life and, and being able to truly feel happy again. And I kind of like that you brought up this concept of normal life, especially given your book normal for me, because I mean, what was normal before is obviously not going to be your normal going forward. My Correct. normal before involved two living siblings. And I now only have one living sibling, mm. you know, my normal has obviously changed. And that again, kind of ties back to those concepts of Tourette syndrome of these rules don't fit anymore. Mm -hmm. We have to make new rules and it's okay to make those new rules. It's hard. Um, but understand that we still have to create something new. Um, I've studied a lot about creativity as of late. Um, and one of my favorite things that I've learned about creativity is actually how everything is an act of creation, even destruction. Because if you destroy a building and watch that building come down, you think, well, that's the opposite of creation, right? But no, it's actually still an act of creation because you suddenly have created space. 
and there is suddenly space where you can now build something new you know maybe you didn't want a skyscraper there so the building came down and you build a quaint little country cottage maybe instead you want a palace maybe instead you want to build you have space you know and as we go along and we gain those tools and those resources we can then build something new and something better um and and create something that's much more fitting for who we are and who we want to become and who God sees we have the potential to become. But mm-hmm. even destruction, even the loss of my brother, it created a space for me to heal and for me to grow and to become a better person. Mm. Wow, that is so beautiful and so deep. I think I'm still processing it. <laughs> <laughs> right? It took me a minute. Um, there's actually a children's book that kind of helped me grasp this concept a lot. It's called The Book About Nothing. I can't remember who it's by, but it, it, cute little children's book, you know, little illustrated, like 10 pages mm-hmm. or something like that, um, talking about how even nothing is something. Mm. So, no, that's beautiful. And, and, and sometimes we each learn differently. So some of us are going to learn more visually than others. And some of us are going to learn by right. listening and, you know, um, others by doing. So I think it's really neat, this concept of maybe destroying things to create a new and better us. I was just thinking how like repentance that is, how we're getting mm-hmm. rid of something that, mm-hmm. that no longer is serving us and building something better so that we can improve and become a better us. Um, but it's not always, it's not always that we're getting rid of something bad. Um, sometimes good things happen and, and, and life changes, right? Uh, it's someone we love that are no longer with us, at least physically. Right. Um, right. Uh, it's, and so it's learning to adapt to those changes and create, I love that you say I can create, I can create this new normal, right. Yeah. (laughs) Of what life is going to look like now with, the detours that I've had along this path and it's not what I expected nor what I wanted but but you know it still turned out kind of cool anyways yeah (laughs) do you feel that these experiences that you've had have helped you become a more empathetic person and a better author yes definitely um one example, having lost my brother and that being a recent circumstance, um, as I was doing research on this woman with Tourette syndrome, she actually also lost a sister. Um, she mm-hmm. had one biological sister where they had the same mother, same father. Her father passed away when she was like six months old. And then her mother remarried and she had a few more uh, step siblings. But uh, because the father was the one with with the castle, with the money, um, there, that inheritance went to these two girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was actually the younger of the two. Um, and she lost her older sister. That was probably someone who protected her. Like I would imagine that sister relationship was super close. And so that was actually one of the first scenes that I wrote because I knew that that, that would impact her. You know, there was no way that that couldn't impact her because I knew from my experience and, um, it was a very hard scene to write, actually, yeah. <laughs> um, because it does pull up a lot of my own emotions. But pulling that 
that emotion kind of up and out of me so that it's not something that's weighing me down and putting that on paper and allowing me to, you know, again, cry and again, let that out. So that it's not something that's physically just like tensing up my body was a healing process for me and something that I can write more effectively. Like if I tried to write that scene without having lost a sibling, I could maybe come close, but I might not fully understand and and be able to express that. And someone who had might catch on to that. Oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Right. It's going to, it's going to dampen that ability to write. And it's funny how it brings up so many little details that you just wouldn't think about. It was funny because being a member of the church, when we lost my brother, people of course brought meals to us because we could not function. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at a normal level yes um, I've, you know I've, I've never been able to not like I couldn't even drive myself home I lived up in Salt Lake and my family's in Las Vegas and about halfway through I'm just like I can't drive anymore <laughs> I know how to drive but I just physically can't drive it's not even like a taxing thing but I couldn't couldn't do it um, I had an aunt and uncle that had to come pick me up and take me home um, but in receiving all of these meals there was a lot of chicken <laughs> Um, and it was just kind of funny because like note to self like beggars can't be choosers we were very very grateful like don't get us wrong but at the same time we're just like we kind of want some beef note to self when when we're taking meals to people bring beef because everybody brings chicken (laughs) you know and so I know to do stuff like that I know how much food is going to come so some of the best meals we got were actually already frozen and we could just defrost it whenever we needed it mm-hmm. like that was brilliant whoever mm-hmm. thought to do that um mm-hmm. you know and and so it helps me to care for others because I see you know that was actually a really good thing I enjoyed that or you know that didn't really help much don't mm-hmm. don't say those things because hearing them as a person um you know I, I can't even think of some of those phrases because it has been a couple of years but there were some phrases that that didn't help. And there were the thing that was most helpful was when people just cried with us. You don't have to say anything. We feel this mm. pressure. There's this cultural expectation that, oh, I have to say something. No, no, you don't. We don't want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, there are a lot of little things like that that just help us to to interact more with other people mm. who are in the same circumstance. I feel like I'm better at helping others through grief because I I've been there. That is a hard lesson to learn, but at the same time, it is a good lesson to learn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And now you guys know without having to experience it, bring beef, bring freezer (laughs) meals, don't say anything. (laughs) But love, but love. Definitely love. I love that you brought up one of the ways that God blessed you through that time was through other people. Yeah. and. The more we kind of get a, we're starting to sort of back our way out of COVID, it feels a little bit, I know we're not done with it yet, but the more I look back on it, I think the thing that I noticed I missed the most was that personal interaction with people, that there's just no substitute for that. And, um, and, and it made me realize how much we really need each other. And I, I just don't think God meant for us to live life isolated and by ourselves, that we truly need other people. 
And I, and I hear that in your story of your grief, how you were able to call and your aunt and uncle were there to help you and how people came in and brought in meals and how people just came and cried with you. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I think part of God's way of helping us when we're in a tough situation is through the ministering of earthly angels all around Absolutely. us, right? Absolutely. This has been amazing. Seriously. Are there any other lessons of things that you have learned through either Tourette's or through grief that you would like to share before we close? One more thing that came to mind was how close they still really are. Um, there were a lot of times where I could, I could still hear my brother. Um, my brother, he hadn't been active in church for a very, very long time. And so you'll have to uh, pardon my language because I wanted to use his verbiage, not mine. But um, there was one point where I needed a belt and I was getting ready to head back up to Salt Lake. And so I grabbed one of his because I wanted something. I wanted some piece of my brother that I could take with me and I needed a belt. So I grabbed a belt and all of a sudden I heard this in his voice, clear as day as if he was standing next to me. Why the hell is everyone taking my stuff? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, it's your own fault. <laughs> you know, and I just kind of like busted out in like laughing tears. Um, but to know that he's still so close. And there have been several times since that I've been able to to hear him because you're right. I, there's no way I could do it alone. It, it required me being willing and open. It required God putting people in my life and being there just when I needed him and him alone. Um, but it also required my brother. And I needed my brother to heal. And he was there. And that was a huge part of it. And I know that that's not a common circumstance. You know, not everyone's able to hear or see or feel to that extent. But whether you can or you can't, just know they're there. They're Mm. definitely there. That is so beautiful. Are there any Bible verses that you'd like to share that became particularly meaningful to you as you were dealing with either Tourette's or with the death of your brother? So I hadn't talked so much about um, specifically how my brother was murdered, but he, still a little tender, still a little emotional, obviously. He died saving a woman's life and her two little girls. And so the verse that always comes to mind when I think of him is, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Because while my brother wasn't super active, in church and um and in religion he was still very close to god in his own way even if he didn't necessarily recognize it um he was still very moral and a good man and that's what he did he gave down his life just the way the savior did that love and and again coming back to the concept of of no man is an island you can't do that alone um you know if if travis hadn't died how many others would have? Um, how differently would that circumstance uh, come about? You know, how bad would it have been? Um, at one point, we learned that uh, the woman that killed him had a knife to one of the little girl's throats and said, do you see what your mommy is making me do? And who knows where things would have gone if Travis hadn't stepped in, you know? I mean, that poor little girl is already going to be so traumatized. <laughs> From that experience but at least she made it out and is hopefully able to 
finding some healing and some peace, which also brings a little bit of, of hope is, is that he not only saved their lives, but he hopefully was able to impact them and, and make their lives better. Wow. That is, <laughs> that is quite a verse and I'm over here crying too. So um, <laughs> my goodness, <laughs> before we close, would you mind telling us a little bit about where people can find you and contact you online? Um, so part of the reason I chose a pen name is because Jessica Smith just isn't searchable online. Uh, I did some research before picking a pen name. And if you were to type in Paula Jean Perry, I am what pops up. Um, you know, I, I've got like the first three pages of Google before you start seeing other combinations of Paula Jean or Paula Ferry with other names tossed in. So PaulaJeanFerry.com is where you'll find kind of every central aspect of, of me and what I do as an author and, and with creativity because I do a lot of other things as well so that's kind of my central hub but all of my social media uh, my handle is usually jess squeaks j-e-s-s-s three s's because i'm weird q-u-e-a-k-s um but that's where my social media platforms are but again paula jean fairy i'm what pops up that is awesome well jessica this has been absolutely <laughs> amazing and i'm very thankful that you've been willing and able to share with us not only a little bit about tourette's and what that looks like so that we can have more love and understanding and passion towards those we meet who are struggling with this but also how to deal with grief and and for being so raw and open because i think that is what makes us feel like people get us is when when somebody's willing to dive deep and and share part of their heart. And I love that you've been able to do that, not only verbally in the podcast today, but I love that you have been able to incorporate this into your upcoming book. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to keep us uh, posted on that, or you can find the information on, on Jessica's website, Paula Jean Ferry, F-E-R-R-I.com. And uh, tell us the name of your upcoming book, because I think this is awesome and hilarious all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm so excited about this. And it, I didn't come up with it. A friend of mine did, but I'm like, I'm going to steal that. I'm actually going to use that. And she said, okay. So, but it's called <laughs> Madame, M-A-D-A-M-N. Because <laughs> she had this wearing form of Tourette, so it fits. <laughs> yes, it does. So look, we'll look forward to that book when you're finished writing it. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an honor. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope. I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. There you will find a summary of today's show, the transcript, and one of my favorite takeaways. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this episode with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a quote or a scripture verse that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this podcast. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, 
Remember, God loves you.